middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Ladies and gentlemen, it is true. Welcome to another episode of the wildly underqualified, yet mildly entertaining podcast. It's all about sports in the air capital, Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. We like to call ourselves Keeper of the Games. I'm Tommy Castor with my co-hosts, as always. We'll start with Weston Mills. And Weston, you have got to be in a great mood right now, knowing that Costco has officially brought samples back. You've got to be one happy camper right now. <laughs> I'm glad you so closely follow my Twitter because here and here, but here's the thing though. I'm actually not a Costco member. I'm a Sam's club member, but I, you know, I think the buzz like, Hey, Costco makes the move. You know, Sam's has got to make the move. And let me tell you, it will be a great day when they bring the samples back to Sam's. I live pretty much right across the street from a Sam's. I am ecstatic. Good call, Tommy. You know, there have been times, I'm not going to lie about it, that I've gone to Sam's and got an entire meal out of just Sam's <laughs> samples. Um, it's it's not uh, it, it's something that's been relatively common, especially when I was a lot younger and had a lot less money. Yeah, there's no. I mean, it's almost a tradition of my dad and I to just see who can eat more at the Sam's Club. And I put this on my Twitter, but uh, I once did have a Sam's sample lady make me an entire peanut butter and jelly. She was doing samples, but she said, I can't even remember what she said. And this was in my late 20s. She said, oh, you look like a hungry boy and made me a whole peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Fantastic. Well, that's incredible. And uh, I don't know. Are you one of are you one of those guys, though, that you can dress up in like you end up bringing like a hat and then you put it on backwards you go back for another sample? Or are you kind of a one and done? Well, so I no disguises, but I will absolutely send my wife through like, hey, I really like that one. Go grab that one because knowing she's not going to try anything. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, also, Blake Cripps here on the program. And Blake, uh, I got to tell you, it's a good thing that there's no such thing as a transfer portal when it, come to, when it comes to podcasts, because I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if over the last couple of weeks or so, you might have entered your name in that portal. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like everybody is there. We've got Jayhawk news. There was a new Wichita State shocker that we're going to talk about on the show today. So yeah, it's busy. And if if you don't like this new era, they, they just announced like two hours ago, I was seeing on CBS Sports that the council actually did pass that one-time transfer legislation allowing athletes immediate eligibility this year. So if you think that it's been crazy so far, there is no indication that it will be slowing down anytime soon. Well, welcome into the podcast, and, uh, and thanks to everybody for listening today. want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will get notified. Of course, you can find us on all major streaming platforms. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, you can find Keeper of the Games. Uh, of course, you can also go to the Keeper of the Games YouTube channel. If you'd like to watch this episode, follow us on Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. Our website is cogsports.com, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at K-O-G-Pod. On the program today, we're going to talk a little bit about Kansas City Royals baseball week two in the books for the Royals, an update on that tragic situation up in Kansas City with the former assistant coach for the Kansas City Chiefs, Britt Reed. We're going to give you an update on the transfer portal, as Blake mentioned a few minutes ago, our Wichita whip around, and a whole lot more coming up on this episode of Keeper of the Games. But we start off today's episode with a very special guest. It was back in December 
December before the holidays, the last time that we had this guy on the podcast. And I believe the last time that we had Jason Mouse on the show, the Wichita Thunder had played one game and it was a, a 3-2 victory uh, to kick off the season. Since that time, the Wichita Thunder, they've played 47 games. They currently have a record of 29 and 13. They find themselves near the top or at the top of the Western Conference regular season standings right now. And there's a big stretch of games against the Tulsa Oilers this weekend, one on the road, two at home, uh, and some really cool events for fans as well, including hashtag I love Wichita night this weekend inside Interest Bank Arena. So for an update on all things Wichita Thunder, we welcome Jason Mouse into keeper of the games jason how's it going man first and foremost thank you so much for having me weston i'm a little jealous that you're not sharing some of those samples of from from Costco. <laughs> you did they, yeah did you really say that the person said that you look skinny and you need a full sandwich I, I, yes it was exactly something like that that's that's right <laughs> That that's hilarious, but yes, Tommy, I appreciate it. It, it has been a while. Um, you know the team's doing well, coming off of a six-game winning streak, lost on Sunday, unfortunately, and snapped that six-game winning streak. But the team is, uh, I think, trajectorying, uh, going in the right direction. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, taking a look at uh, the schedule, you know, like I mentioned, we had you back on before the holidays and there was really only one game before Christmas. And that was, uh, you know, that that three two victory. But then you look at, you know, how the team performed throughout the holiday, you know, right after the holidays, the beginning of the year throughout the wintertime. And, you know, I think that you'd have to be pretty happy with where the team stands right now with that record, finding themselves near the top of the standings, but it hasn't always been easy, right? Like I'm going through this schedule and kind of looking at, you know, there was a stretch of games. I believe it was in February where it kind of looked like there was a little bit of a, a, a struggle for the thunder there for a little bit of time, maybe three or four losses in a row. But uh, the resiliency of this team, I think, is something that uh, is something to be noted. And uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on kind of where you see this team as they've moved through the wintertime. And now that we're approaching into spring, kind of the midway point or almost the midway point of the season for the Thunder. So how would you assess where the Thunder stand right now? I think the word that you just use is probably the best way to describe this group resilient. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, that struggling uh, time frame, right, right in the middle of February. The team started out the season with six contracted players, I believe it was. Uh, four of those guys came from the Toronto Marlies, and they all got called up right at the same time. And then we lost a defenseman who was one of our better defensemen to Bakersfield, and. Then we started seeing some injury issues. Uh, our starting goaltender got hurt, Mitch Gillum, and he's actually out for the season. But head coach Bruce Ramsey has been able to fill the gaps, and uh, this team has just found ways to win. And and one of the areas that I think is the most uh, amazing to me about this group, in the beginning of the year, they were playing better early in the game than they were later in the game. Uh, they were a second-period team had struggles in the first period, played really well in the second, and then had a hard time scoring in the third. But, uh, you know, since that time frame, they've actually outscored the opponent, I think it's 53-35 to 35 in the third period, despite being outshot by over 100 shots in the third period, which to me is remarkable. 
Um, and they've been able to come back in games that they had no business winning. Uh, there was a game against the Rapid City Rush at the beginning of March. We were down 4-1, to one, ended up going to overtime, and then winning the game in overtime. So resilient, I think, is a great word to use. Hey, you know, Weston, one of the things that I know that when we had Jason on the program last, you were really interested in hearing about some individual contributors, you know, names uh, from this yeah. squad that fans either should know, will get to know that sort of thing throughout the course of the season. Um, so, you know, I, I'm going to, I'll toss it to you. Um, you know, if that's something you want to follow up on, or maybe you have something totally different you want to talk to Jason about. Well, no. Uh, so, I, and I kind of two different ways and that, that that's a good segue for my first question. I'll just open that up to, to you because you, you know, who, specifically, I guess, who, who have we seen that's kind of take on, you know, there's always a difference, right? Between the stats and then the guys who seem to be the fan favorites, right? So who really has kind of taken on that role as the fan favorite? And then maybe this, the second part to that being, but then who, who has really just shined on this team that maybe we didn't expect to shine? Well, in terms of fan favorite, I think Matthew Gagnon is probably going to fit that bill. He's a guy that likes to stick up for the other players. But, um, yeah. you know, in talking with our general manager, Joel T. Lamerno and coach Bruce Ramsey, they didn't expect the type of defenseman he would become. But he's actually wow. been probably one of our most steady players on the blue line. And then when something takes place on the ice, I mean, you don't want to upset him. He's the type, type <laughs> of guy that will black out flip a switch i mean he's had that a yeah. couple happen a couple of times i thought he was going to go after a referee the other night so um, <laughs> he, he probably fits that bill in terms of you know a player that i'm not saying that anthony beauregard was unexpected because i think we knew we were getting a guy that was going to be able to score but he leads the league in points and typically and typically uh you know, this this team has not had guys that have been at the top of the scoring leaderboard and then um, been able to make other players better. A rookie by the name of Jay Dickman, I think, has probably been the most surprising. He's a guy that we picked up at the end of last year. He didn't have a lot of playing time at the pro level, and he's second in rookie scoring with 30, 31 points. So those two guys, to me, are the ones that stick out. And like you said, uh, the fan favorite, I would probably pick uh, Gagnon as the as the one that sticks out to me. Well, and I want to have a quick follow-up from there, too, because I, you know, I, I'm up here in Kansas City. I don't know if either of the other guys have had an opportunity to get out and see the Thunder play in person, but what has the fan atmosphere been like? Uh, you know, this year with, you know, obviously just dealing with the weirdness of, of what it is has, what, what have you seen? What have, what have your analysis been of, of the fan experience so far? Well, the ones that are coming out are very vocal. Uh, Thunder fans That's have good. always been like that. Uh, I think it was 10 straight years in the central hockey league. We won the most annoying fans in the league. <laughs> I don't even know why that was a category, but it was right. So um, you know, there, there's only been about 2000 people in the building, which I think there's still some hesitancy and some other factors that play in and not getting people to come because right now we're at about 28% capacity, but as things start to improve and, and things start to open up, I think we're going to start to see that number increase. And hopefully this weekend, we have a good showing for a night that is one of the fan favorite nights. We love celebrating this city. I, I, with you saying you're in Kansas City, I know that um, the Wichita flag is a 
big symbol of our city. And every, uh, this is the fourth year that we're doing this. The team's going to be wearing a special uniform. So just the pride in the city, which to hopefully that'll improve. And we see more people coming out to the games because this is one of the best teams we've had in over probably since the 2012 season. Yeah, that was a pretty good team too back in the Central Hockey League. Uh, so I have a couple of questions. I mean, I got I got plenty of questions, but uh, my first question is this: Why is the Thunder second in the West when they have more points than the Allen Americans, the same winning percentage, and they've played three more games? Can you explain this to me? They have sixty-three points. Allen has fifty-nine, and Wichita is number two. Why? My understanding why they are listed above us is because they have played less games and have a better opportunity of finishing above us is what I was told. I personally what? felt like the reason why is because their name is Allen and in alphabetical order. It would be <laughs> Allen that would sure. No, I was told because they plus played less games. But I like to tell people it's because of the alphabet. Yeah, I mean, they that that makes no sense to me. It, it was like Fort Wayne was listed above you guys when they've basically been in the league for like a cup of coffee this year. They played 20 fewer games than you guys, and they were ahead in the standings. That's preposterous. So anyway, moving on to another question. You mentioned the shots, and your goaltender, Evan Wenninger, is second in the league in save percentage at 926, but he has faced the most shots in the league. His goals against average is right around in the middle, I think 2.6. What's making him effective? Obviously, he's doing a good job with that save percentage, but do you feel like maybe there's a little bit of fool's gold in the defensive numbers? Obviously, tell me what, I guess, tell me what shots against means. What does it mean for this team with giving up so many shots? Because obviously, you want to have a volume of shots. You, you know, you've talked to me when we were back on the radio show, and I hear all these hockey, when I watch hockey on the weekend, they always say, you know, if you don't have anything better to do, just get the puck on the net. Just throw the puck at the net and see what happens. So there is certainly, you want to have volume shooting, but you also want to have quality shots and shots on goal too. So how do you kind of, diagnose and break down this team defensively with a goaltender that's obviously doing his job and a defense that obviously is keeping teams out of the net enough, but is giving up a lot of shots. Yeah. I think you took the words right out of my mouth. Quality, uh, sh quality shots to me is more important than shots on net. You can take a wrist shot from outside the blue line. It goes on net and they, they count it as a shot iron goal. Now we are last in the league in shots against per game. However, we are, I think it was second in the league in goals against per game. So, you know, I, I think it just all depends on the, not only the whole body work, but as a team defense, this team has been really good at making sure that they solidify their own defensive zone. One thing I want to mention real quick, Blake, and you mentioned Evan Weniger, who has been a workhorse for this team. I'm not sure you heard this story or not. It's quite interesting. He got hurt during warmups during, uh, I think it was the end of March. He was supposed to be the starter. We had an emergency backup behind him who was a local kid. His name is Dakota McDonald. He's originally, uh, you know, played for the Junior Thunder, was a high school kid. Yeah, I, and, I do remember that. What's that? I think I do. I remember him from the Junior. Th I think I, yeah. I that name rings a bell for some reason. So uh, Dakota's the emergency backup. Evan gets hurt. During warmups, we had a guy that we traded for, and he literally arrived in the arena 20 minutes before Weniger got hurt. He ends up having <laughs> to come into the game off the street, wasn't planning on playing. We ended up losing that game, 
but then had, went on and, and won six straight starts. His name is Evan Beitenheis, and right now he's been the, the guy that's really solidified things for us in net. If it wasn't for Evan getting hurt, I don't know what would have happened, but yeah, it, we've had uh, quite the number of goaltenders that have come through here this season. I've got a uh, so a, maybe a quick question for for all you guys here. Uh, and did we lost we, have we lost have we lost Tommy? Yes, we lost Tommy. Yeah, I think we lost Tommy. I don't know. It says it's still recording. You know what? Go ahead and ask your question. Tommy will fix it in post. <laughs> okay. Well, and I wanted Tommy for this question. I don't know. Do we need to? I mean, is he going to be able to get back in? I have, I have no idea. You know, this is this is this is live podcasting, folks. It's a beautiful thing. So if this doesn't work out, this might be totally wasted. People may never hear this, but this might be the best question of your life. So don't waste it, Weston. Well, so we got I love Wichita night night coming up, right? So and tell me the date on that again. Saturday the seventeenth. Saturday the seventeenth. So if you guys were to take you're showing up to I love Wichita night and you're, you're throwing on your best Wichita shirt and that shirt can encompass anything Wichita. What is it that you're putting on that shirt? And I'll go first because one thing that I always think of when I think of Wichita, and this is going to be a little, a little off the beaten path. If you guys know on Kellogg over there on the West side, the Western holiday motel sign with the big cowboy that's still smoking the cigarette. I want that <laughs> printed on a big shirt that says, I love Wichita. And that's what I'd be showing up to the Thunder game in. So I'm curious if you guys have something like that. Blake, go ahead. Oh, I mean, I don't know if I, you know me I'm on the spot. Okay. Here's the thing, and and Tommy, I'm. This is actually a point where I'm. I'm so glad that Tommy isn't here because Tommy totally disagrees with me on this. And in hockey, it's a little bit different. I am no alternate uniform guy. You have a primary uniform. You have home, away, one alternate. That's it. That's the list. I hate when these baseball teams go out with their stupid Chewbacca uniforms and it looks like fake fur on them. Like, Get that out of here. I don't want to see that. I'm not saying that the Thunder is necessarily doing that with Flag Knight, but I'm the wrong guy to ask this question. I am a bit of a unifile. I, I obsess over uniforms probably more than I should. And and I, I'm I'm just not the alternate uniform. I get you know in, in minor league hockey and minor league baseball, you know it brings fans to the game. I guess you know I don't I don't really understand if that's true or not. But I know the fans like it, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be here and, and just well, you know drag down the thunder at all. But that that's my take on alternate uniforms. No, no, that's hold on, hold on, though. You though. Yeah, you're you're missing my question. So if you as a fan show up to I Love Wichita Night and you can have anything on your shirt, I'm not saying the thunder, this is an alternate jersey, just like you as a fan, like, hey, I'm excited sure. to go to I Love Wichita Night this Saturday at Interest Bank Arena. And you can have anything on that shirt that, that just really gets you out that fun I Love Wichita message. What would you put on that shirt? The fun, I love Wichita. I mean, the cliche answer would be Keeper of the Plains, right? Because right, it's right. Just, it's so iconic. But I don't, I don't know. Does Keeper of the Game, the the Keeper of the Plains, that isn't necessarily, that's not necessarily fun. I mean, do you go right. to the you go well, but for? A, I mean, I'm not saying it's not fun to go. I mean, I'm sure the Mid American Indian Center would you know come and knock on my door if they said, oh yeah, hey, don't <laughs> go there. It's not any fun. I don't want to say that. Uh, I don't, yeah, but a fun place, you know what would be really controversial, but fun would be a a, a t-shirt that had 
Joyland on it. Yes, oh. that's what I was thinking too. That's the other one I was thinking. That would get people talking and that would upset some people. Jason, you've been here longer than I have. You know, there are some people who are still really upset that there's no Joyland, but you know, if you wanted to do some sort of a crazy alternate uniform, I think some sort of a circus Joyland Wichita Thunder uniform, I think that might go over well. You know, I wasn't in Wichita when Joyland was around. I didn't get here oh, until, man. until 2004, so I missed out okay. on Joyland. But I do know from friends that how important it was to the city of Wichita. Yeah, I'm, I, I hear I haven't even been over on that side of town. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I've, there's been so many rumors about how that's how, you know, there's been shows like The Walking Dead is filming there. But anyway, uh-huh. getting getting back to the Thunder, you guys defensively, Malzi, the second fewest goals allowed in the ECHL. The only team with less is Fort Wayne. They've played 20 fewer games than you guys. Obviously, the defense has been really, really effective with you. We talked about that. But one team that you guys have struggled with is a team that you have coming up, the Tulsa Oilers. Tulsa City about 500 on the year. You guys are 2 and 5 against them. What has been the thorn in your side with playing this Oiler team that maybe is a different matchup problem that you don't face with other teams? Yeah, you know that's been something that is somewhat of a conundrum for this season. <laughs> and I don't have a great answer for you to be honest with you Blake. Sometimes you just match up different, match up better with some teams than you do with others and you know, they've got a ton of skill up front. They've got a, a line of Danny Moynihan, Charlie Samper, and Anna Pleskatz that's really good. And they actually just got Samper back today from San Diego. And he's a really talented player. Uh, they don't have their number one goaltender who's been on IR, and he was near the top of the league in goals against average in Roman Derny. But I, I think the one thing that we've struggled against in terms of playing them has been giving up the first goal uh, to them you know this team plays so much better when they score first I think the the record's like 21 or 22 and four when the team scores first but uh, a little bit above 500 when giving up the first goal and all those losses came against Tulsa I'm not saying that's the end-all be-all of why this team is not beating the Oilers but it, it's certainly going to be an important series to try and get that monkey off their back uh, one difference for this upcoming week is the the team is going to be playing uh, with, I think, a little bit fuller of a lineup in terms of the forwards. I think we're a little bit healthier than we were back then. And we added a guy that has NHL experience in Ryan White. If you've not heard his story, he's played in the NHL for, I think it was 10 years with Montreal, Minnesota, Arizona. My, um, he's been all over the place, Philadelphia. Uh, came down here because he knows Stefan Fournier. They were in training camp together with the Arizona Coyotes. So that's a, the connection that brought him here, and he's just wanting to play. And they didn't get the opportunity in the American Hockey League because he was with the Manitoba Moose before that for, for a couple of seasons. So having him on this roster is huge. And then uh, we lost one of our best defensemen who decided to leave the team and go to Europe in Patrick Parkinen. However, a guy that has stepped into the lineup the last couple of games and played really well is Alex Peters. He's a rookie defenseman that came out of Canadian college, and he, I think, has really stepped up and played really well as of late. So uh, getting off to a good start, all three of these games is going to be important, and hopefully the team can do a better job of closing games when they go out to the BOK Center. 
All right, I got one final question for you, Jason, and and maybe you maybe your answer to this question you have just alluded to, but if you could if you could have one thing that this team really needs to focus on to finish strong, and it can be something that you, either you've heard you know the coach or the players say, or just you personally, but what would be that one thing that you think this team really needs to focus on to finish this season you know as strongly as they can? Well, I know Blake mentioned defense has been probably the backbone of this team early on in the year the team was scoring over 3.2 goals a game and the offense has struggled lately so mm. uh if if i was head coach bruce ramsey offense is going to be important the team has got to find a way to score more goals and you know special teams is has been somewhat of a disappointment the the power play has not been very good this year last in the league the penalty kill is really good which is I think really important as you get into the postseason, but uh, finding a way to get better on the power play is, is going to be a, a factor over the next 25 games. Cause if they can get hot going into the playoffs and, and find a way to score some power play goals, watch out. I, I think we can go really far in the postseason. Three games set with the Oilers and the Thunder coming up Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Friday game is at Tulsa. And then back, I Love Wichita Night is on the 17th at Entrust Bank Arena, 7.05 p.m. and then 4.05 on Sunday. And then a really tough game against the supposed first-place team in the West on the road at the Allen Americans on Tuesday. You can get all the details at wichitathunder.com. I'm sorry, because they've played fewer games. They've had less chances to lose than you guys. That's ins- <laughs> that, that makes no sense at all. Zero sense. You want me to bring up something that makes even worse sense? Uh, Please do. Yes. Okay, so Allen and Wichita are big rivals. They are I I remember that from the from the CHL days. Wichita has not played Allen in over a month, and Allen does not come back to Interest Bank Arena the rest of the season. Thunder play them four more times, all at the Allen Event Center. I see that. Five more times. Explain that to me. Yeah. So the other thing that I find interesting, Wichita only makes one trip to Rapid City and one trip to Utah all season. Rapid City comes here three more times and Utah once. Yet, you don't play your biggest rival at your own building the rest of the season. I- yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, the, don't don't really like that. By the way, if you want to follow along, just go to wichitathunder.com. You click on the schedule, and then for every game, they've got a live video link and then a live audio link. Obviously, if you want to listen to Mousy, he'll be on the live audio link. And you're on the video as well for the home games too, right? Yeah, you can stream live. It's called Flow Sports, or you can tune in on the Sinbin app. Download the Sinbin in the App Store or go to Mixler and type in the Sinbin, and that's where you can find the stream. And Weston, by the way, if you want to go to some of those Kansas City games coming up when they take on the Mavericks 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, they've even got tickets. You can buy tickets on this website. Now, some of the games are grayed out because of the pandemic, but obviously when things get back to normal, you'll be able to buy tickets. There's the Game Center right there, so you can follow along everything on the schedule, wichitathunder.com. Once again, I Love Wichita Night is Saturday, April 17th. Jason Mao's the voice of the Wichita Thunder. Thanks so much for being on the program, Mousey. One more thing I wanted to mention, Blake, and I know that, um, you know, you understand this as being a a broadcaster who's up and coming and trying to make it to the next level. On Sunday, I actually have a student broadcaster who used to do games for the Junior Thunder. His name is Gabe Daniel, and Gabe will be doing the game for me on Sunday. Nice. I'm really excited for him to get the opportunity to be behind the mic and get some experience. 
That is a that is a really big call up because you know the for people who don't know and I'll keep this quick but hockey's kind of on its own progression it's much different than if you want to be a baseball broadcaster or the voice of a collegiate program like I'm doing or a sports talk guy if you want to be in hockey there's a very specific path that you kind of walk and it doesn't cross over much so getting an opportunity like that at this level when you've got you know potential future NHL players out there is really big so tell them I said good luck good luck to you on Friday and Saturday and the rest of the season on your own broadcasts. Hey, if you ever want to come out to a game, either one of you, just let me know and I'll get you guys taken care of. Would love to. Well, I will definitely take you up on that. Thank you, Malzy. No problem. Thank you. Thanks a lot. So that's Jason Mal's voice of the Wichita Thunder here on Keeper of the Games. And, uh, you know, Blake, I, I, I got to thank you for taking over for me. Oh, yeah, no problem. Difficulties. Um, I actually think that's the universe's way of getting me out of the interview because I know nothing about hockey. So it was a good way to get me to transfer to somebody <laughs> who knows a little bit more of it than I do. So I mean, we, and, we do real, I, I don't know about you guys. We do real research on this show, at least in this third of the screen. We don't do a lot of makeup before the show, obviously, but we do actual research. Hey, I, I do research as well, but it doesn't <laughs> help when I have no idea what I'm actually reading. Like, I don't know what the words mean. Uh, I have no, I have no clue. Uh, so I, I appreciate you taking over, but, uh, but yeah, uh, hats off to uh, the Wichita thunder. Good start to the season for them so far. And we really appreciate, yeah, we really appreciate Malzi being on the program. All right. We're going to transition into talking about some baseball, which I do know a little bit more about than hockey. We're talking Kansas city. Yeah. We're talking Kansas city Royals baseball. And as of right now, guys, the Royals set in first place in the American League Central. They're tied with the Cleveland Indians with a record of 6-4. and four. They start the season uh, with, a, with a pretty good record here early on. They had a stretch of games against the, uh, I almost call them the Anaheim Angels. They're the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim uh, that they just wrapped up on Wednesday. Uh, so a, a pretty good set there for the Royals. Didn't get off to a great start as they lost 10-3 to on Monday, but they got a 3-2 victory on Tuesday and wrapped up the three-game set with a 6-1 victory over the Angels. The Royals have won two in a row. They've won three out of four. And I think that there is some cause for optimism with Kansas City, at least here early on in the season, and especially with the pitching, or at least specific parts of the rotation for Kansas City. Brad Keller pitched a great game on the bump on Wednesday to wrap up the series against the Angels. Danny Duffy has had two quality starts to kick off the season for the Royals. So guys, I want to start there with the pitching and Blake, I'll go to you first. Uh, I know you were a big proponent and we've talked about it a couple different times of this really being a make or break year for Danny Duffy and whether or not he can actually turn things around. And at least here early on in the season, the returns are pretty solid for Duffy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Duffy's been really tremendous, has had a nice increase on his velocity. And the thing that I like the most about what Danny Duffy has been doing is if you look at the home run, he's really done a good job of limiting that. His home run per nine innings has been way down. He's given up one homer in 12 innings, and that had been trending in a pretty dangerous direction. It was going down to like one every six or seven the last few years, and in spring training, you, you can't complain about, you know, opponents hitting 222 against him. You'd like it to be a little lower. I think the major league average is 233 or something like that, but, you know, 
you've given up two two wins in two starts, and your ERA is zero point seven five. You can't complain. And and listen, I was ready to come on the show today, and I was going to blow Brad Keller up because he was terrible the first two starts. That's not a hot. That is absolutely accurate. Go look it up. His record, he was 0-1 with a 19.29 ERA coming into today. I give him credit. He did get into some big-time trouble in the third today against the Angels. Back-to-back strikeouts. One of his fastballs touched 97, I believe, to get out of it. Greg Holland, earlier this week on Monday, struck out Mike Trout. Huge strikeout with two on. And then Salvador Perez, bang, picks off the angel on third base. Trout went on Tuesday. Tuesday. Did I say Monday? I meant Tuesday. Trout went for the golden sombrero in that game. Four strikeouts. Ouch. And the Angels, by the way, are the number two offense in the American League, at least entering the games today. So at least through the first nine games, which I know is still a small sample size, they had been very, very prolific offensively. So I'm impressed. You know, I'm I'm not going to go ahead and say, oh, well, Brad Keller's obviously going to make the all-star game because he was terrible. But as, as bad as he was, the first two games, Weston, he was tremendous today. And if he could continue pitching like Danny Duffy has been, you know, the Royals are going to have a chance to stay in the mix, maybe a little longer than we thought they would in the American League Central. Yeah, absolutely. I'll even touch a little bit more onto the pitching staff. I mean, I guess let me back up to Brad Keller. I think I read today that his uh, fastball is averaging two miles per hour faster than it has been in the last couple of years. So he's, he's at a little velocity over the offseason, which I mean, that really does at this level make such a big difference when you're talking 92 or 94 on your average fastball, you know, and that means touching 96, 97, 98. That's a big difference. In Major League Baseball hitters, I mean, 92, 93, 94 is nothing to them. 95, 96, 97, 98, that is a little bit different story. So good to see that he's adding some zip and now settling down and getting it under control. And particularly against an Angels offense that you alluded to that that is good. I mean, this is a, a great lineup in my opinion. I mean, Shohei, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout are two of the, the most – I mean, Trout is, in my opinion, the best hitter in baseball, and Otani might be one of the most exciting hitters in baseball. But then they also have Jared Walsh, who either leads the MLB or AL in RBIs. I can't remember. Um, And then uh, Albert Pujols, the the timeless wonder, who is not what he used to be, but that's still he's still a tough out in Major League Baseball. And this pitching staff has shown that they can do that. And the, and the addition that I wanted to talk about with this pitching staff is Brady Singer, because I, I mentioned last time, you know, I was a little bit disappointed in, in that first start. And, and not that I thought that, you know, that meant one way or the other about his season, but I just, I want him to be the guy. I think he's got the most talent. And if you actually look at the 10-3 loss that the Royals had in which Singer pitched, I mean, he pitched five, he struck out six, and he only gave up one earned. He had four allowed, but three of them on fielding errors, which... I don't think is going to be a problem for this team, but that's just purely my speculation based on paper that, you know, there's a lot of good fielders on this team. I think that was just one, you know, uncharacteristic game fielding. Um, so really, I mean, now he did allow, allow seven hits through five innings, but again, six K's only one earned. He actually pitched the ball pretty well. He looked a whole lot better than he did. And so again, against a tough lineup, I'm hoping that's something that they can grow off of. And then if you've got, I mean, if you have Brad Keller, uh, Danny Duffy 
and uh, Brady Singer stabilizing that that rotation, you're going to be in a good position moving forward. Jacob Junis has looked good. I mean, you know, I think we're all kind mm-hmm. of on the fence. You know, you kind of feel like if he's pitching great, that's kind of a bonus, but we've seen really good moments out of him. We know we've got some good young arms. And the thing is, if you have three pitchers, and this is a very early conversation that I probably shouldn't even be having, but if we have three solid pitchers, you get to that trade deadline, you can go out and get a fourth and you feel comfortable with that. You know, it's, you can't replace a whole pitching staff or you can't, you know, fill in two and a couple bullpen arms that, that you can't do at the trade deadline. But if we're talking one starter, maybe one relief guy, that's something that you can go and feel real comfortable moving into the trade deadline. So I think that, like you guys said, that is where the optimism is. The offense has continued to play like we talked in the preseason after week one, you know, that this, the potential it has, it's lived up to it so far. So I I think the excitement really has to be about what we've seen out of the pitching staff so far. Yeah, I uh, I know this is a little bit off topic because it's not uh, directly related to the Royals, but Shohei Otani is yeah. insane. Electric. Like, yeah, he's he is. just ridiculous to watch with the way that he hits the baseball. And I mean, I think the word hit is an understatement. I mean, the way he demolishes the baseball. Yeah how fast he throws the ball. And then he's even beating out routine grounders yeah. uh, at first base. Uh, he's the best just, player in baseball right now. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean the best all around talent. Absolutely. Is Shohei Otani. Uh, and it was, uh, it was kind of a, an added benefit, I think to get a chance to watch him play over the last three games against the Royals. Not like, I I'm sitting down to watch angels games a whole lot other than just that. So that was kind of fun to watch going back to the game on Tuesday when the Royals got that three, two victory over, uh, over the angels. I don't know about you guys, but it was almost like watching the team from the, from the, you know, mid 2010s, like the 2015 team, 2014, 2015 team, because you had Danny Duffy, throwing the ball great. I mean, I think he scattered like eight hits over six innings or something like that. Um, Pitched great. Then you had Wade Davis as the setup guy. Greg Holland is the closer. They both pitched great. (laughs) And Salvador Perez recorded the final out by throwing out uh, the the runner at third base to end the game for Kansas City. It was very reminiscent of that that championship team for Kansas City. Uh, and, And so that was kind of fun to watch. But knowing that, you know, obviously we're several years removed from that. And I know the Royals are trying to get that culture back. They're trying to get that winning culture back. Blake, how important is it that they they're winning games kind of in a reminiscent way that they won games when they were so successful a few years ago? I don't think it's that important just because most teams that win the World Series don't do it the way the Royals did it. Now, if you want to argue that the Royals are a different kind of franchise, and listen, they kind of have been. They they totally threw, they took, you know, you got those Sabre metrics, that Bill James stuff. We're going to throw that in the trash can over here, and we're going to bunt, and we're going to steal bases, and we're going to put the ball in play and see what happens. We're not going to hit home runs. We don't care about doing any of that. Launch angle, what is launch angle? 45 degrees, sounds great. And if, so if you want to argue that, the Royals are unlike any other team in baseball, and they really were. Those teams that went to the World Series back-to-back years and had a pretty darn good team in 2016, too, that was a very unique situation. And you look at the other teams that have won the World Series the last few seasons, the Dodgers, the Astros, 
to me, they don't remind me of the Royals at all. So to me, it's not necessarily important that the Royals are doing it unless they're being constructed in a way in which they kind of have to win that way. I don't know yet. It's still too early. I, I like where the Royals are offensively in some categories. With Merrifield and Salvi, both over a 985 OPS plus is fantastic. And Michael Taylor is over 900. Nicky Lopez has been a competent bat in the lineup. But, you know, I've six games in, so the, on Hunter Dozier, you know, had the injury. He's got to have time. Jorge Soler has been a bust. Uh, Santana has not been, you know, worth his contract so far, but it is early. And Weston, I know you've already got this team making trades at the trade deadline. And I know that Jay, Jason, I'm glad that Jason Miles is gone because he's always the one that accuses me of finding the negative stats and putting the negative spin on things. But I do have to point out, in terms of pitching, the Royals are probably at this point, I think by any reasonable evaluation, they're the fourth best pitching team in their own division. You look at the ERA in the American League, three in the top four, all American League Central teams not named the Royals, Chicago, Cleveland, and Minnesota. The Royals also have the second worst whip walks and hits printings pitched in the entire American League. So they are. It, it feels to me like this could be slightly fool's gold. Now, obviously, Detroit's a disaster pitching-wise, but the Royals are putting themselves in bad spots. They're getting guys on with the walk. They're allowing hits, and they've been able to pitch out of it here recently. But, Weston, I do have concerns. If they keep putting opponents on base – can they continue to pull themselves out of the fire consistently? It's not a place I want to be, especially given the fact that the pitching in the American League Central appears to be so good this year with the White Sox, the Indians, and the Twins, all with an ERA of under 3.5. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's fair, to, I guess, to look at the numbers and have that, you know, worry or criticism. You know, I feel like when I've watched the games, you know, and this is, you know, someone that, you know, played baseball his his whole life but had no more than than high school baseball so obviously my eye is you know nothing special but when i watch the games i I feel like we're seeing good things out of the pitching even when they're you know letting runs go and those kind of things And, and ultimately that's obviously what matters but i feel like i'm still watching and seeing okay look He's hitting spots. It's getting better. Keller's overthrowing. You know, it, it, it seems more of that than, my God, th- this arm just isn't good. Uh, you know, and that's kind of a different concern. But but obviously that has to translate. So we'll see as that as that plays out. But you know, and I think something that's kind of a good transition that you bring this up because there is such good pitching in the division that I think offense is going to be so important And the what we've seen the Royals have done so far. Keep in mind, this has been fantastic start as far as run production hitting. And this is without their three hole hitter in Alberto Montesi. Uh, this is without, um, well, pretty much w- without Hunter Dozier, who, you know, four or five, but you expect pretty good things out of him. This is without having any production out of Jorge Soler, which again, that may end up staying the whole way. You know, he may have just a down year, but that's not what we've seen over the last couple. So you expect him to regress to the mean. And then, you know, like you mentioned, you know, it's, it, we're also not getting, you know, production yet kind of out of, you know, and 
Andrew Benintendi. So there's still room yeah. to there's grow on the offense. Some that I would expect and some that, you know, I think is more of a hope, but just to say, oh my goodness, like this offense has done so well and there's so much more room to improve, I think it is a positive and an exciting thing. But, but you're right. I mean, I think my assessment and all of our assessment from the beginning of the year has not changed. It's going to come down to pitching this year and whether they can consistently produce at a high level. Yeah, t- I'm not sure. I mean, with the run production, I mean, they're tied for ninth in the American League in runs. And Tommy, you know, I think we can all agree, at least as long as we've been fans, the Royals are never going to be an elite home run hitting team. And they aren't this year. When you're not that elite home run hitting team, you know, I just don't know how much how much more juice do you really feel like there is for the Royals, Tommy, and, and what they can do. Obviously, I mean, like Weston brings up good points. There are opportunities to get better. I'm just not sure that Santana and Benatendi are going to make up enough of the difference at the end of the season. Well, I think that the rest of the team has to, you know, sort of use what Salvador Perez has done early this season as a benchmark, as kind of an idea on how the rest of the team should hit. Uh, It's great to hit for power. You look at some of these elite home run hitting teams uh, across the league and, and that's great. Um, you know, I think of the Minnesota Twins, especially last season as a team that hits a lot of home runs. Um, you know, the Dodgers have been known to do that in the National League. The Padres, you know, are a team that hit a lot of home runs. Um, but when you when you look at a team that, you know, and I agree with you, the Royals are not an elite home run hitting team. And you look at the players, you look at the guys that that could be, they either are are not producing at that level or they're not really, they've never really been elite home run hitter. So you have to kind of look at, all right, you got to, you got to hit, uh, maybe not for power, but you got to hit to get on base. You got to hit to score runs. You got to hit to knock in RBIs. That's kind of how, that's kind of the goal. I think for Kansas city, that's what Salvador Perez, uh, I think has done over the last, well, really since the beginning of the season, but you know, especially in this, you know, last series against the angels, you know, Perez barely recorded an out the entire series. He was eight of 12, he you know, had a home run. He did have a home run in that series. In fact, he hit a home run on Wednesday, the, the finale of the three-game set. Four RBIs, he only struck out twice uh, in the course of that three-game set uh, against Los Angeles. So, you know, again, Salvador Perez is kind of the elder statesman offensively for this Kansas City team. I think the, the players are going to look to him for direction. Uh, and so if they just follow his lead, you know, look, the most important thing is to get on base. The most important thing. And, and uh, you know, I, I hate to uh, to use a Rex Hudler ism, uh, but, you know, you you got to You got to be willing to drive the bus. Right. You know, from time to time, it doesn't necessarily we drive need the to be, bus. It doesn't necessarily need to be hitting the home run out of the park because we've seen the Royals. You know, they're sitting at first place, tied for first place in the American League Central without being an elite home run hitting and, team. And Tommy, to your point, Detroit leads the American League in home runs and right. they got a minus 15 run differential, So, right. and, which right. is by far the worst in the Central. But, you know, just to counter what Weston said, and like I said, I'm as hopeful as anybody, but the Royals right now in a run differential are plus two. Minnesota is last in the division and the run differential is plus 12, which is second best. So I think you you have to, I think with, with that run differential, I think you also have to take a look at how, um, 
how effective the Royals bullpen has been, right? Sure. And they, it's they, early. they have I been. It's, it's early. early. It's early, but they have been effective. Not every game, but I would say the lion's share of the time from the bullpen, especially when you get into those late innings and you're looking at Wade Davis and you're, you know, looking at, you know, Greg Holland. I know those are our names that we were sort of like, I don't know what they're going to look like. You know, what Holland's going to look like for a second season back in Kansas City, what Wade Davis is going to look like making his return to Kauffman Stadium. But late innings, the Royals have done a pretty good job at least closing out games. And so that's where that run differential, uh, you know, is, is incredibly important. If you've got a minus run differential and it turns out that the bullpen can't hold leads, then yeah, you're going to be looking at obviously a lot more losses, right? That's just kind of the logic there. Uh, so I do think, again, it is early, but I do think that there is cause for optimism. I'm not ready to crown the Royals yet. Uh, I don't think anybody is particularly ready to crown the Royals, except maybe Weston, who was ready to crown <laughs> them you know, weeks ago. Uh, but at the end of the day, you, you have to be happy at least with how this team has performed over the first 10 games of the regular season. So we'll, we'll see how things continue for the Royals. Their, uh, their schedule continues here. I know that they just obviously wrapped up uh, the, the series against the Angels. They're back in action in Kauffman Stadium on Thursday night, taking on the Blue Jays for a four-game set that wraps up on Sunday. Uh, they continue with this long homestand as they take on the Rays next week before they finally go on the road next weekend for a road trip uh, on the road against Detroit and then into Pittsburgh. Uh, anything else about Kansas City and their their week two wrap up that you guys wanted to mention? I didn't know if I cut you off too soon, Weston. Anything more from you? No, uh, that that's pretty much it. I'll be actually out at the game next Tuesday, so I can give you guys some live updates next nice. next week. Uh, nice. Tell you what I'm seeing, you know, Very out cool. there at the K. Well, that might be a little chilly next week, though. It's, it's going to bundle up. Yeah, it's going to be cold. There's even reports potentially of snow that morning. It's supposed to get up to 50 Ooh, during the day. But, wow. Yeah, but we're wow. going to do it. We're going. We got the tickets already. How good does that feel to be back inside Kauffman Stadium? Any stadium. I have not been to anything, yeah. you know, since. So I, I cannot wait to be at a live sporting event. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Very cool. We'll have to get an update from you on next week's episode. All right, we're going to stay in Kansas City and transition to a topic that is, uh, it's not fun for anybody to talk about. Uh, I know it's something that has been, um, you know, just really tragic to follow over the last few months. And um, and I, I almost feel like, uh, you know, if we're kind of, you know, kind of do a little bit of a uh, you know, look back on previous episodes. It's probably something we should have mentioned earlier. Maybe it's even something we should have mentioned around the Super Bowl. But there was so much else going on that we didn't uh, we didn't talk about it. So it's important to talk about it now. The situation uh, involving former assistant coach for the Kansas City Chiefs and the son of head coach Andy Reid, uh, Britt Reid. There are some developments in uh, in that case, of course. Um, you know, most people uh, know about that uh, that incident that happened right before the Super Bowl, uh, where Britt Reid was uh, allegedly driving drunk, uh, crashed into a vehicle, uh, and left a five year old girl critically injured. A couple of those uh, updates uh, that um, you know have come out in the last couple of days. First off, Britt Reid has been charged officially. Uh, he did 
post his $100,000 bond when the uh, incident first took place, but he's been charged. This happened on Monday with the class D felony of driving while intoxicated. If he's found guilty, uh, he could face a sentence of one to seven years uh, in prison, potentially just one year though at the county jail and a $10,000 fine. The other update in the case is that uh, the the little girl, uh, Ariel Young, Um, she is home at this point, but apparently she still cannot walk. She cannot talk. Uh, she's on a feeding tube as well. Um, apparently according to the family, when her mother speaks, it appears that Ariel recognizes her voice, uh, but that's about it. Uh, so that's kind of where things stand right now. Uh, the the article guys that I I've been looking at is, uh, comes from Yahoo sports, uh, which, you know, quotes the family as saying they are not happy with the charges that have been issued against Britt Reed. They feel like it it should have been harsher, uh, potentially harsher charges that Britt Reed faced. Uh, but at, at any rate, that's kind of what we're looking at right now. So, Weston, I'll, I'll go to you first, because, you know, I know that obviously you're in a completely different world of uh, of law. You don't practice in anything like this, but you do have a little bit of I think you can add some needed context to this. What's Britt Reed looking at right now? And what are your thoughts on sort of what he's facing? Yeah. I mean, it's been a, it's been an interesting process. If you, if you read the the report from K, um, KCPD, they, I believe at the time, so they took his BAC three hours after the accident. At that time, three hours after the accident, his BAC was 0.07. So under the legal limit. Well, they had to go and subpoena records from the hospital because he was taken to the emergency room himself. I think he had a contusion to his growing area. They took his blood alcohol at the hospital and it was 0.113. And I think I know 0.11, but I'm pretty sure 0.113. So that would be two hours after the accident, which is clearly over the legal limit. And one can certainly (laughs) understand how that process works. That at the time he was much more over the influence than 0.113. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a really, really unfortunate situation. I think, I mean, just the reality of this matter is I don't think Britt Reed is going to, going to face any jail time. I'm sure they'll plead guilty. Um, and he will, you know, probably there'll be some sort of community service. I don't think he'll get any time. There will be a very, very, very large settlement that I would not be surprised if both the insurance is going to pay out because he's got a, he's got a policy obviously on his vehicle. So that's going to be, they're going to pay out policy limits. Those are never probably going to be enough for a situation like this. I'm sure Britt Reed is going to contribute and I would not be surprised one bit um, and a matter of fact, I should say I would expect that the Chiefs will contribute to this to get this to wrap up as quickly and go away quietly as possible. Um, Tom Porto is the attorney for Ariel's family. He's actually someone that he went to UMKC. Um, I don't know. I can't remember if we overlapped. I, I know him, I guess, just from from up here in the area. And he's kind of been all over the news and, and those sort of things. And so I know that that, that family is you know, they're particularly wanting to put their story out there to make sure that this doesn't get swept under the rug. But end of the day, I mean, there's going to be a a big chunk of money that gets paid out. And, and that doesn't, I'm not saying that that excuses it. That doesn't mean the family should be quiet, but that's just the reality of the matter of what's going to happen here. There's going to be a very, very large settlement. And and then this will kind of all, you know, kind of be pushed, pushed to the side. And that's just how, unfortunately these things go. 
I mean, th- this is my only opinion. I don't have anything else to say about this. You know, I don't really understand the family's assertion that they wish that there were more charges. The only way that there's going to be more charges is if Ariel Young is dead. I'm thankful. I'm very thankful that there are not worse charges, that she is still alive. And I'm hoping that there are not more charges because that means that Ariel Young is still alive and makes a recovery. That's what I'm hoping for. And I know that's what the family is hoping for as well. This is the legal system. That's the penalty. It's not like, you know, Britt Reed is getting some sort of a deal not available to anybody else. Obviously, he will have the opportunity to make a settlement payment that not everybody else is to dodge charges. But to me, I mean, he should face the consequences. He was driving 84 miles an hour. Blood alcohol concentration of 0.113, and he has a previous drunk driving conviction. He should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. If the family chooses to settle, I have no problem with that. That's that's the family's decision. It's not my decision to make. But you know, that, that's really all I have to say about it. He 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 did something obviously very terrible. I mean, I know that you're innocent until proven guilty in this in this country, but you know we've got some pretty bad evidence against him. He's no longer working for the Chiefs. I wish him the best. I wish the Chiefs the best, and obviously, I wish the five year old Ariel the best. Yeah. So apparently, part of the uh, the, the family's opinion on this is that. Uh, the, the laws in, in Missouri, the statutes in Missouri say that the only way that Reed could have qualified for a class C felony, he would have number one needed to cause death, which Blake, you, you mentioned injury to law enforcement or emergency personnel, which didn't happen or be labeled a chronic offender, which generally speaking requires four or more intoxicated related traffic incidents, which he hasn't had. Although Reed has had serious criminal and substance abuse issues in the past, but maybe not enough to qualify as chronic in the state of Missouri. Yeah. A couple thoughts that I had uh, on this, guys, that that is kind of where I've been processing this. I don't know if you happen to see the the tweet that Clarence Hill, who's a writer for the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, came out with the other day. I, I mentioned it on my Twitter. Um, his, and I'll, I'm just going to read it verbatim. Uh, his tweet said. Does Chiefs coach Andy Reid bear any responsibility for enabling his son, or are we not ready for that conversation? We know his son was not the most qualified when hired to go along with the checkered past. The best thing on his resume was his last name. Now, my response to that was obviously, look, Britt Reid is the same age I am. I'm 35. Britt's 35. If I did something stupid and selfish, Nobody's going to be blaming my parents. They're going to be blaming me for that issue. They're not going to be saying, you know, we do we need to also look for consequences for his parents because I'm the one, I'm a grown man. I'm the one that made that decision. Now, where I actually go the opposite direction is according to police, Britt Reed said that he was traveling from work. So I don't know all the details around that, but does that mean that Britt Reed was drinking while at Chiefs at the Chiefs facility, which Weston I think calls into question a little bit about what you were talking about as far as if there's a settlement and the Chiefs kicking in money. That would be there lying. could be a scenario, correct, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but there could be a scenario where the Chiefs could be found liable in a civil suit from Ariel's family because of the fact that allegedly Britt Reed was leaving that he was leaving his place of employment and maybe the chief's organization enabled him to drink while on the job. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to be a little bit fuzzy and, and not a great case to make, but here, I mean, again, realistically how this happens, it, it, 
when this civil suit, and I do want to back up for a second because there, there's two separate things going on here that I alluded to, and I don't know if we're getting confused, but there'll be a civil lawsuit saying he acted negligently, sure. I'm owed money, and then there's the criminal suit. He will, I mean, he, I would be shocked if he does not plead guilty and will be punished you know, according to the criminal law, but he'll plead guilty and that will allow him a reduced sentence. I don't think there'll be any jail time because of that on the civil side is where they will settle out. And that's where, when that civil suit is filed and it'll be filed, there's no doubt. Um, the chiefs will be named. Now they do this stuff all the time. Multiple parties get named two or three of them don't have anything to do with it. I mean, of course, plaintiff's attorneys are going to try. I mean, they are supposed to be able to make an argument as to why they are. And sometimes I guess there is an argument, but this is a frequent tactic used to, to name them. And so that it, in whether there's liability or not from the chiefs, I, I could understand the argument. I don't think the law is going to allow for that. Um, but, uh, I think the chiefs will partake in the settlement discussions because of that. They will be a named party. I'm sure. And they'll want to cover it up. They don't want the PR. So one, one final question on this Weston, do you think, and again, it's kind of fuzzy to know we're not there. We're not there. We don't know. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know about that culture and, and what that looked like for Britt Reed. But do you think the organization, and I'm going to stop there. I'm not even going to get into Andy Reed specifically, but do you think the chief's organization does bear some responsibility? Yeah, I think, I think you're making a good distinction because I, I, I can understand this Clarence Hill or whatever his name is from an organization standpoint. I mean, don't come at this at Andy Reed because he's the son. You can say the organization. Sure. I don't think the head coach also is not telling his other grown men or coaches to drink or not drink. Here's the thing. I mean, I think realistically, should they be allowing this to happen or embracing this culture? But I would be willing to bet a significant amount of money that this is happening in every football locker room, whether it's the guys that have a drinking problem, whether it's guys that have – you know, a tobacco problem. I mean, there's all sorts of vices that these guys are partaking in. We, if you remember the dolphins and the, the offensive line coach that had the significant Coke problem, and I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying it's happening in every coaching staff, every NFL locking room. These guys are partaking in vices that are not great, but they need to make that decision to not write home to drive home, especially in 2021 when there are so many options available to you. I, right, I think that's right. kind of the, the biggest thing. And that's also to me, what, why you can't hold the chiefs to too much liability here, because I mean, if he's a grown man. If he wants to drink and you're comfortable with him doing his job and drinking in that manner, he has an ample amount of options to get home safely. And he chose not to, to use those. So, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate situation all around, but you know, I'm sure this will have, I would not be surprised to see if the NFL or the chiefs maybe have that bigger conversation, you know, of, Hey guys, sure. we got to rain back on this. We can't be, you know, drinking as much on the job and, and so forth. Well, it's absolutely a, a tragic uh, incident for sure. Our, our thoughts continue to, to uh, go out to a uh, five-year-old Ariel, Ariel Young and her family. And, you know, it's the, I think the, the worst part about it guys is the fact that all we talk about, about when it you know regards the Chiefs is that great culture they have inside the locker room and how people want to come and play for Andy Reid and Brett Veach and the, the Hunt family and all of that. And that's all true on the field. 
there have been some issues, just like there are in in a lot of other uh, organizations. There have been some issues off the field over the years that uh, unfortunately have kind of clouded that uh, a little bit in some of those accomplishments for the Chiefs. That's the update there. Let's get into college basketball. The transfer portal continues to be an incredibly busy and hectic place for sure. And uh, on this episode, we're primarily going to focus on the updates on the transfer portal with the University of Kansas Jayhawks as guys, the roster for KU is kind of in the middle of a major, major overhaul by Bill Self. Uh, Just in the last week or so, we've talked a little bit about some of the other additional signings in previous weeks. We talked about Cam Martin uh, coming to Kansas. We've talked a little bit about, you know, some of the other guys, some of the commits in in, uh, the, the upcoming years committing to the University of Kansas. But there's been even more changes in the last week. We know that Joseph Yasufu who uh, is coming from Drake University. We talked about him extensively on a previous episode going into March Madness when Drake was going to be facing up against the Wichita State Shockers. He has transferred to Kansas, so he will be playing for Bill Self this upcoming season. Also, a heralded freshman Bryce Thompson has announced that he will transfer out of the Kansas program, and Ochai Abaji and Jalen Wilson have both announced that they will be testing the NBA draft waters. So as it stands right now, Kansas still looks like they are in the hunt for a couple of other uh, new recruits to potentially come in and play alongside of some of the established players. But Blake, I'll start with you. One thing I thought was interesting, we'll start with the Bryce Thompson decision to transfer out of KU. I don't know if if anybody has realized this or not, but every single player from this freshman class is now gone from Kansas. They, all of them, have now decided to transfer elsewhere. Uh, Are you surprised by that? And and specifically, are you surprised that Bryce Thompson has decided to leave KU? I thought it was a little bit surprising. I thought he had some upside, and it seemed like he had a pretty good attitude. And when you look at the the article, I think Matt Tate uh, on his Tale of the Tate column in the Lawrence Journal World at KUSports.com wrote, he just kind of said that there was the stressful season contributed to leaving Kansas. So I don't really I don't know what that means. means. What does that mean? Like, was it going to be less stressful than any other place? Like, with you have the support that you have at. Kansas and the facilities and the coaching staff. It sounds like he's, you know, at least from the article that I've read, it sounds like he might be going to Tulsa, which means that, you know, shocker fans, you might be seeing this guy uh, playing for the hurricane coming up next year, but you know, five points per game, average 17 minutes a game. Yeah. I'm surprised, but you know, it's, this isn't a, a real shocking transfer. I think he did he battle could, some injuries and I don't know if have injuries. injuries has something to do. He absolutely had injuries, limited his his time, limited him getting that consistency. But, you know, to me, not a huge, huge deal. And I'm not really surprised by Ochai or Jalen Wilson declaring for the draft. I think losing Jalen Wilson would be a bigger blow if he ends up trying to go. And like I said before, you know, there are a few things that I'm not really keen on, you know, projecting from spring training to the regular season, spring football to the regular football, high school signings, you know, that's not, and and this is another one for me, draft signings. This is another one for me. I'm not a a real 
I don't feel like I have a keen handle on what guys are going to go pro and what guys are going to come back. So I have no idea if Ochai or Jalen are going to come back. I like Yusufu, 21 points against the Shockers in the NCAA tournament, 13 points per game, shoots 38% from the three. Feels like he could be an athletic guy that could help and maybe even shoot a little bit better. It, you know, Running the offense through David McCormick on the inside with more three-point shooters feels like that could really open things up on the outside with a better three-point shooting team. KU didn't shoot the three particularly well this year compared to previous seasons. Seems like he could help in that regard. So I like his signing. Um, but, you know, Weston, for me, Bryce Thompson moving on. Certainly you see the potential that could have been there, but not the end of the world for me that he's not going to be a, a Jayhawk. Not that I'm not that I'm bitter or mad. I wish him the best. I have no, I have no negative thoughts about Bryce Thompson, but you know, I, I don't think they should just cancel the season or cancel the program because Bryce Thompson won't be suiting up. Now this feels very much like when Quentin Grimes transferred away from Kansas, you know, came in with big expectations, kind of underperformed and then went on and and he'll probably do well. I think my personal opinion is I think Bryce Thompson wants to play the one. He came in, you know, playing point guard, playing the one in high school. I think he had expectations of playing the one at Kansas. Now we've brought in Joseph Yusufu. Um, There's conversation about Joseph Yusufu coming in, actually opening things up for Marcus Garrett to return that he was, um considered pretty yeah. much gone but that he you know him having the opportunity to play off ball is something that he's interested in uh so so that'll be very interesting to see but um you know th- and and that's tr- a better fit anyway right like yeah. that that's such a that's such a better fit to have Marcus Garrett play off ball i don't think he enjoyed playing the point i know he kind of had to out of necessity but I, I think that's a better situation for him anyway I don't think he yeah. enjoys shooting the ball, but I think he's a great distributor. He was the best distributor of the basketball that KU had last year in terms of assist to turnover. Well, and I think Marcus Garrett loves to focus on defense. And when you're running the show for sure. Kansas offensively, I think that just isn't kind of an added part to his game that, like you said, not that he wasn't good or, or you know struggled with it, but it's just not what he enjoyed doing. So it'll be interesting to see if he comes back. But you know, this is this is just what we're going to see moving forward with this transfer portal. You get these freshmen, especially a place like Kansas, in a year where not very many of the freshmen played minutes they want to leave they want to go to a place where they can play especially as kansas is continuing to out recruit them with you know we got some four stars coming in we got some transfers coming in from the portal and you know guys like latrell jostle jethro Skaden, uh you know looking at the what what's coming in and going you know i don't know if i'm going to play next year or the year after that either they continue to you know out recruit me i can't blame them one one second then you know someone at kansas or any other school you get four years for these guys that aren't going to go play in the league go somewhere where you can get minutes i completely understand um you know that's just the fact of the matter i know there's probably maybe a lot of guys that want to yell at the clouds and say oh back in my day you just would would earn it well you know at the play at, at a place like kansas <laughs> you know you can be out recruited every single year and and i just don't blame anyone that says hey i'd love to get three years of playing or two years of playing instead of maybe i'll have a chance at one year my senior year maybe i will maybe i won't uh, you know, so I, I, it's really not a big deal. I'm not. I don't think it's a big deal for any of these schools. Yeah, it's absolutely all about playing time, and there are so many options now for these players to be able to go out and get those minutes. And it's not just about the blue bloods anymore, and it's not just about the power conferences anymore. Uh, you've got players that are they're now realizing that they can get a substantial amount of minutes and become 
bona fide stars in some cases by playing for quote unquote mid majors or, or whatever, um, where that really wasn't the case. And the fact that you couldn't really transfer out anyway, you know, sort of made that point, you know, null and void for a lot of these players. But I absolutely think that Bryce Thompson, you know, he was a McDonald's all American, right? He was the number 20, I think he was a number 20 ranked recruit coming out of high school nationally when he chose KU. Um, I know he battled injuries, but I think that if you were to ask Bryce Thompson, he probably would tell you, yeah, I thought I could have contributed more to Kansas last season. I think I could have scored more than 4.6 points a game. I could have started more than five games throughout the course of the entire season. And I want to go somewhere where I can get the minutes and I can get the points. And so, yeah, I don't blame him one bit for leaving. I was a little bit disappointed because I felt like, especially if Marcus Garrett is gone and Ochai Abaji is gone and Jalen Wilson is gone, I think that would have opened up opportunities for him to get more minutes oh, for, for, sure. him to, for him to score more points. So I don't love the fact that he sort of jumped ship when it looked like there could be an opportunity for him to be able to come in and step up in his sophomore season. But you know what? At the end of the day, maybe it was just a situation where he wants to be closer to home. I've heard Tulsa could be uh, his landing spot. I've heard Oklahoma state could be his landing spot, um, which, you know, I think as a Jayhawk fan, I'm rooting for Tulsa. That way we don't have to play him against, you know, OSU twice a year. Uh, But yeah, not surprised, you know, much about the fact that he was, you know, wanting to leave, but a little bit disappointed, I guess I would say. As far as Joseph Yasufu is concerned, he's got three years of eligibility yeah. remaining. It'll be a sophomore season coming up. And I don't think he's a, a draft guy right away. I think that we can, we might have an opportunity to see him develop and be a long term point guard for the Jayhawks, which is something that uh, the Jayhawks have been looking for ever since Devon Dotson left. Uh, having someone that can come in and, you know, be that floor general for a long time, kind of be an extension of Bill Self out on the court. Um, that's when, in my opinion, that's when we've really seen a significant amount of success from Kansas. Look at the the top-notch point guards that Kansas has had over the years. I think that directly contributes to the success of the team. And last season, I love Marcus Garrett. I just don't think he was really that guy for the Jayhawks. So I'm excited to see what Joseph Yusufu can do. I think that's a great addition. Also, And I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. I do know that both Cam Martin and Sidney Curry have Mm -hmm. signed their letters of intent. So they will be in Lawrence uh, in the fall playing for the Jayhawks. Do you guys anticipate there'll be more changes, more new players coming in? I know that there are names like Ty Ty Washington still on the board. Christian Bishop, who is the transfer out of Creighton, uh, still on the board. Those are guys that I know Kansas is still going after. Weston, I'll start with you. Do you anticipate more changes? Frankly, I think it's going to I think it's going to be a slow process from here because I it'll depend in my opinion on Ochai and Jalen Wilson whether they're coming back or not and I think there'll be some of the bigger name guys whether it's I mean Ty Ty Washington or some of the transfers that they understand how this playing time works. They understand that if Jalen Wilson and Ochai come back that those guys are going to play significant minutes and they can kind of look at the roster and go okay, I'm not interested in going to a place where I play 10 minutes a game. And so they'll wait for that, even if they want, you know, hey, Kansas is where I want to go, but I just got to see how this builds out. So I I think that's going to be – it's going to be a slow process. I do think – there will be one or two more that that join. I kind of think Ty Ty Washington, I know – I think he's probably going to be one of the guys that that really – 
I, that I think commits. That's kind of my prediction there. But I'm also excited for Cam Martin. We only got one year out of him, but he's a big, you know, six nine uh, stretch four shoots the three ball. I think that'd be a perfect addition, especially if Bill wants to mix in kind of that high low look that he had done in years past, where you can even step him mm-hmm. out and do the high low extended. You know, I think you're gonna it kind of gives the opportunity for Kansas to really put a bunch of different offensive looks and put some pressure on teams. So I'm excited to see him see some minutes and uh, Sidney Curry. A real big body kind of reminds me a little bit of um, uh, Jeff Graves from from back in the day. You know, just big body, junkyard dog type type uh, player. So I'm sure that and there's always a role for that on every team, whether he you know it's an immediate impact or not. I don't know, but uh, I think exi- exciting times for for Kansas as they kind of restructure this roster, like we talked about. You know, what three four weeks ago now. I feel like that high-low with McCormick and Martin on the floor at the same time could be really, really interesting because Martin will be able to stretch the floor in a different way with the three-pointer, but he still, if he is guarded by somebody who is undersized, he can go in the post, and he's got plenty of post moves. I would say he's a more skilled offensive player than McCormick, and McCormick can be the high on the high-low as well. I mean, he can. we saw how consistently he hit the elbow, the 15-foot jump shot. He can hit that shot, so I think that that could be a really interesting combination. Tommy, for me, real short and simple, if Ochai and Jalen Wilson declare, there will be more recruiting. If they don't, there will be less recruiting. That I mean, that that's that's pretty much all I have to say about it. Yeah, everything I've heard, uh, and again, it's all speculation. You won't know until a little bit further down the line, but everything I've heard is that Ochai is pretty much all but gone, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Jalen potentially come back. I don't think Marcus Garrett will come back. Uh, I know that he allegedly has been tempted about, you know, the fact that Yasufu is coming in. I just don't, I think that there was so much finality with him with senior day and, and that sort of thing. I just don't think that we'll see him back. I wouldn't be surprised to see a starting five next season of Yasufu at the point, Christian Brown at the two. I think Jalen Wilson, if he comes back, will obviously start maybe at the three. And then, you know, I think you have to look at maybe a Cam Martin or maybe a Zach Clements at the four. And then David McCormick at the five is kind mm-hmm. of what if, if the roster stands right now, where sure. it's kind of at, assuming Jalen Wilson comes back, uh, that wouldn't surprise me one bit. But of course, there's a long way to go until next season. And that transfer portal continues to be entertaining. At least we can say that, right? That. Every day, it's entertaining, like seeing who's leaving, who's coming, where, all this speculation. Um, usually, this time of year is reserved for just like coaching searches and coaching hires and sure. things like that. Now it's coaching, you know, coaches and players and where they're all going to go. Um, it's it's obviously pretty exciting. So we'll make sure to keep you updated uh, as the news continues to drop. Let's get into some college baseball right now here on the podcast. We talked about it last week on the show about how both Shocker Baseball and Shocker Softball were dominating on the diamond. One week later, not a whole lot has changed. Both teams continue to dominate on the diamond. It is probably, in my opinion at least, the best stretch that baseball and softball at the same time have had ever in Wichita Uh State history. Um, Obviously, there have been stretches of fantastic baseball over the years, not so much on the softball front, but right now both teams are performing at an incredibly high level. The Shocker baseball team, they stand right now with a record of 19-9. and They've won seven in a row, guys. 
you know, we talked about how non-conference wasn't outstanding for the Shockers and maybe even a little bit of a letdown after what we saw them do at the very beginning of last season before the season was called off. But ever since conference play started and really by conference play, I mean that eight game series with Houston uh, after dropping that very first game on April 1st, the Shockers have won every other game against the Cougars. They are on a seven game winning streak. One of those games included that inaugural victory inside the brand new Riverfront Stadium in downtown Wichita. The Shockers got that win against the Cougars in front of a pretty incredible crowd at Riverfront Stadium. If I do say so myself, the final score was 10 to one. Uh, the Shockers won. Then they followed it up uh, with the game on Sunday and beat uh, Houston 13 to two. Not only are the Shockers winning, but they're winning at least against Houston by a a large margin of victory, at least in the last four games. 10 to 2 on Friday, 7 to 1 in the second game of the doubleheader on Friday, 10 to 1 on Saturday, 13 to 2 in seven innings on Sunday. Blake, 40 I'll start with to you. Six. 40 yeah. to 6. I'll start with you. Uh, I'm not sure that we've seen Shocker baseball perform at this level in quite a long time. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. You mean you should be. You uh, called me out a couple of weeks ago when we had our show and said, you know, frankly, softball should have led. I'm going to call thing, <laughs> call you out right here. Softball should have led this. They're on a 10 game sure. winning streak for 25th. We'll, in get, the country, to them. we'll get to them. We'll so, get to I them. Mean, I, I, I know we will. I asked you about baseball. I, I know you did, but we should be talking softball first. But I'll follow the I'll follow the rundown. Um, they won seven of eight. Corgan Bartlett is on a tear, guys. He's on a four-game hitting streak. Yeah. He's hit safely in 13 of his last 14. He had six RBIs for Garrett Kosas in the series. And the pitching has been absolutely immaculate for Wichita State over this stretch. Wichita State pitching has given up over two runs just once in the last nine and just twice in the last 11. So they have abs- they've been dominant on the mound. And Houston, that game was not even a series. I mean, they won seven of eight. That was a massacre is what happened to the Cougars. So yeah, Shocker baseball is absolutely rolling right now. Um, you know, Weston could not be more excited for what what's to come. Obviously things are, are going to get more difficult as they move forward. I, I would think in league play, but for right now, you know, and we've got a little bit more of a sample size, Wichita state is pitching as well as they have in years right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because if you do look at the schedule, I mean, there isn't really anything that jumps out. I mean, it's baseball, so it doesn't to me it doesn't matter that there's not a ranked team left on the on the, you know, schedule or anything like that. Um because you're still going to lose some. That's just kind of how baseball goes. Um but boy, you you think you look at the schedule, there is a ton of opportunity to continue to win, 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 win for these Wichita State Shockers. You know, and I think if you kind of go back to I think one thing that becomes more I don't know. It seems silly to say this because it's one game, but that's disappointing to me is that that the game against Arizona, who's ranked 13th, um, or at least they were at the time, uh, got canceled. The, the, sorry, the third game because it would have been the grudge match. You know, they they lose one to Arizona, they beat Arizona. It kind of would have been fun to get that grudge match. And I know, it, I, I don't know. It's weird to me that I, that I do look at this and I kind of feel more disappointed that we didn't have that game because it is just one, but it does feel like, man, I would have loved to see them, you know, take the series against a, you know, a PAC 12 ranked team, you know, as we're now into the American where, where the competition is, you know, not quite, 
not that it's bad by any means, but it, there's no, you know, we're not, we don't have a ranked team left on the schedule and, and yet they had that opportunity. So um, I think there's a ton of, ton of opportunity to win games and I certainly wouldn't pr- project them to win out, but I think they're going to really win a lot of games to, to finish up the regular season. Jace Kaminska has an ERA of just over one, 1.07. He's got a five and uh, I'm sorry, a three and O record right now uh, with five appearances and three games started. And he's not the only one that's pitching great. I mean, you mentioned it, Blake, just the overall pitching staff has just pitched lights out, at least here recently uh, for the Shockers. Preston Snavely has a three and one record with an ERA of 3.35, which is solid. Spencer Hines has a 3-1 and record as well. His ERA is a little bit higher at almost 6, 5.77. But the bottom line is that the, the Shockers are, are getting wins and they're, they're pitching great overall uh, as a staff. And then, you know, offensively, you take a look at some of these guys. And I know, you know, Blake, you know, you've you've talked a little bit about offensively what this Shocker team has done. But just overall, y- y- you have to think that not only are they pitching well, but just what we're seeing them do is just complete baseball all phases of the game right now, it's working for them. It's such a rebound from what we saw at the very beginning of the season. They do have a very long road trip coming up. They're not going to be back in Wichita to play another game until the end of the month. Uh, so it's a, a, a road a road trip of over two weeks as they take on East Carolina on the road uh, and Cincinnati on the road. I'm sorry, Tulane on the road and Cincinnati on the road before they're back at home against East Carolina at the end of the month. Uh, but it's going to be exciting to see what they do down the stretch, especially when once they get into the end of conference play, you know, I, I would hope, I would think that if everything continues on this track for the Shocker baseball team, that we're looking at a potentially deep run in the postseason for the Shockers. Sure. Uh, I don't exactly know what realistically we'd be looking at as far as where this team is talent wise, what we can expect from them from the postseason, And there's a long way to go before we get to that. We're looking at mid May before that's even on the table for discussion right now. Uh, but, but Blake, I'll ask you, what do you think the ceiling is for this shocker baseball uh, squad? I, I don't see them winning the American. One uh, one early addition to our corrections and retraction statement, East Carolina is the number nine team in the country in the D1 baseball yeah. top 25. Oh, yeah, Pirates yeah. are 26 and five on the year. So that's going to be a, a, a really tough. I, I don't know if I see Wichita State getting past the Pirates. Um, it would be nice to see them play. The other thing too, and this is something that I just don't know. I honestly am just ignorant. Are you know, like the NCAA volleyball tournament is happening? I think this weekend, and it is you know pretty significantly slashed from what it normally is. You know, they're playing at some gyms up in Nebraska. It's not you know a sixty-four team tournament like it normally is. I don't know if the baseball tournament, the, the College World Series, is going to be the same format. I, I know I'm sure they'll have the same number of teams going to Omaha, which certainly lends itself to having a bubble situation, playing all the games on one site. But I don't know how many teams are going to get in the tournament. I, I haven't I haven't followed that out. So for full disclosure, I don't I, I don't know what I'm talking about on that. But you know, for <laughs> me, it would be great to see Wichita State 
compete in the postseason and get to the championship game and give themselves a shot to maybe upset ECU. But, you know, the Pirates are really talented. And, and, and guys, Eric Wedge, you know, on his uh, coaches show this week, he's not looking past uh, the, the next games. He, he thinks Tulane is really, really talented. So, you know, don't be surprised this series against Tulane is a little bit more difficult than Houston was. Four games starting Friday with the doubleheader, single game Saturday and Sunday. That could be a, a real tough task down at New Orleans if, if Coach Wedge's scouting report is correct. Well, to grant your wishes here, Blake, getting into softball, good. The Wichita State softball softball team. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's really a way to overstate it. They are playing phenomenal <laughs> softball right now with an overall record of 29 and five. They've won 10 games in a row. On the last episode, where we talked about the softball team. We were talking about how excited we were for their matchup uh, against Oklahoma. Ultimately, that game did not happen. That game was postponed. Lame into May. Uh, so we don't have to worry about that for a while. They'll play May 4th uh, at Wilkins Stadium. So, you know, the Shockers were able to get back into conference play and they have most recently played Houston in conference play as well, uh, swept them in a four game series. And then their most recent win was against Kansas City. It was a, a tight one against the uh, the ruse of Kansas City. They got that win with a final score of four to three. Next up for the Shockers, they take on uh, UCF. They're the 23rd ranked team in the country, a four game set on the road before they travel to Lawrence to take on Kansas, the softball team there uh, on April 21st. So obviously, Blake, 10 straight wins for the softball team. It's the program's first top 25 ranking in the history of Wichita State Mm. softball, which is just incredible. Um, I I understand and I'm a little bit ashamed about the fact that I feel like I was completely unprepared at the beginning of the season that they were going to be so good. I don't know if this is a surprise or if this has been in the works for a long time and I just missed it. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm not upset about it. It's, It's absolutely fantastic. They have been, Wichita State under Coach Breadbender has been a pretty consistent program. You know, they had a long stretch where they were pretty much just stacking like 32 win seasons over and over and over again. Um, so they, they've had, they've been a very much a winning tradition, not necessarily a, a nationally recognized in terms of national ranking tradition, but they have been a solid winning tradition under Coach Breadbender for a while. And, you know, I do have to, to, to point out Neely Herring, Player of the Week award. She was basically like a mutant last week. Her OPS was 2,000. Her slash line wow. was 778, 875, and 1,033. Can I interest you in that? She slugged 1,033. You joking me? They they run-ruled Houston twice. They're 14-2 and two at home. And like you said, they've got a huge matchup and a top 25 matchup that I, will, I believe will decide the American Athletic Conference regular season championship. These are the two best pitching teams in the AAC. These are the two best batting teams in the American Athletic Conference. The teams combined for five batters in the top 10 in batting average. Wichita State has the top two, McKinney and the aforementioned Herring. Central Florida has three in the top 10. Shockers and Knights combined for four of the top five pitchers in the league in ERA. This is going to be the star-studded series of the year in American softball. And you heard it here first, Weston. This will decide the AAC championship. You can book that right now. 
Well, not only that, but I just want to expand on those numbers because I mean, if you're if you are ever going to tune in, if if we've got listeners that I've never watched college softball, but I'm interested in watching college softball, this is the time to do it. So not only that, you also have the number one and number two program in home runs per game, uh, Wichita State at two yep. per game and Oklahoma at three per game. But I also want to, I want to point out just how many home runs Oklahoma has been hitting. Wichita State at 71. That feels like a fantastic number. That's number two in the nation. Uh, Oklahoma has 93 home runs on the season in only 30 games compared to Wichita State's 34. So I only point that out to just show this is going to be an electric game. Slugging percentages, both, um, Number one and I think number three in the nation, Oklahoma being slugging number one in the nation and, and Wichita State number three. So there is no doubt you tune into this base, this softball game, and you're going to get you know just an absolute electric factory out there. Um, two two numbers that jump off the page again while I'm on the home run that I want to point out. You've got uh, Addison. Uh, Barnard, who has 17 home runs and only 97 at bats, and Madison uh, Paragon with 12 home runs and 108 at bats. I mean, that's just incredible to me, especially in, you know, maybe I'm just not attuned to softball as a whole, but those numbers just jump off the page of me. This is an exciting team to watch. They're winning and they're exciting. This is the perfect time to tune in and check out some college softball. Well, and to your point, Blake, about the consistency of the program, uh, you know, obviously this is the first time that they've been ranked, but just the consistency of the program. Congratulations to Coach Christy Breadbenner. That yeah. win against Kansas City was her 600th, 600th career victory uh, as a head coach. And so congratulations to her. That was a great win. Uh, and like you said, you know, it's it, the Shockers continue on. Uh, they've got a, a big series coming up. Uh, against uh, U, it's UCF, correct? In the next uh, week or so, uh, of course, they're the 23rd yes. ranked team in the country. So yep. that's a Central big series Florida for them. And at the UCF softball complex, then Kansas, South Florida, they got an Oklahoma State series, and then what Weston was talking to you about that Oklahoma game coming up yep. on May 4th. Three non-conference games in the season, May 4th, and then doubleheader against Arkansas uh, there in the first week of May. Absolutely. So, of course, uh, a good time to be a fan of Shocker baseball yeah. and softball for sure. And we'll, of course, keep you updated as the weeks go on. All right. It is time to get in to our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games. It's all of the topics that we have not gotten to yet in a condensed form that have to do with local sports around the air capital. So, Weston, let's start it off with you. What is your Wichita whip around story today? You know I like to expand uh, our listener base, our sports in the Wichita Metro. So I'm coming to you this this week with eSports. The Wichita Wolves are officially okay. officially the eSports team of the city of Wichita. Uh, read through this article, I'm not sure exactly what that means. You know, like, I mean, I, I know it's so Dylan Reese, who is the president and founder of Wichita Wolves, <laughs> He really pushed for this. I'm just not. I, I mean, I guess it's just the, an official affiliation, even though I don't. I don't think it comes with any type of tax benefits or anything like that. But um, you know, I think it. Is, I think it's definitely worth worth talking about as esports are really blowing up. I know up here in, in Kansas City, uh, 
they've just completed uh, construction, I think, on the third largest esports arena in the nation. Uh, I don't know if any of you have been up and came up for a few drinks at Kansas wow. Hall, but that's been converted now into an esports arena. So it's blowing up. So kind of cool to see that Wichita, you know, maybe jumping to the forefront of this to have an affiliation with an esports team early on. But uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to check it out. Maybe we can see if we can't get Dylan Reese on the podcast to tell us, hey, what this means and what's going on. Sure. Yeah. I did see that Wichita Mayor Brandon Whipple uh, has been a big supporter of the Wichita Wolves. And uh, I, I believe that he had also, he was the one that made the declaration that the yeah. Wolves were now the official esports team of the city of Wichita. So pretty cool to see your mayor get involved in something like that. Blake, what is your Wichita whip around story today? So I, I will spare you guys. I know that, you know, for our, our dear friends, Falcons listeners who don't like to take the slander from these jinx that are also on the program with me, because, you know, friends is a Wichita university. <laughs> it won't be the fact that friends actually beat Southwestern college one, nothing in the KCAC men's soccer tournament, semifinals, quarterfinals. It won't be that. You can keep blaring your horn all you want. I'll work friends in. I'll tell you this. If we're not talking friends football in the fall, I will quit the show. I will quit the show if we're not talking friends football in the fall. That's a guarantee. Um, Which I whip around is the Newman Jets bowling team. Both teams in the top 25. Men are sixth in the latest National Collegiate Bowling Coaches Association poll. The women are 13th, men finished second at the SWIBC three and four. Women were fourth to end the regular season last week. Sectionals are this weekend with a spot at May's National Championships on the line. Jet Power, and I actually talked with head coach Billy Murphy on the JetCast. You can see that over at NewmanJets.com. It dropped yesterday. Are those the only two stories you guys have? Do you have any additional ones? I do. No, I do. I do my research correctly. One, one, and no Weston whip around. Okay. You have another one though, Weston? Yeah. So I just, and this is maybe, I actually have two, two more. Uh, I want to quickly touch on, and I don't know for those who, you know, maybe like to follow some of the which the area local high school players that go on to D1 Caleb Grill out of Mays who initially had committed to Iowa State um, and then transferred to UNLV is transferring back to Iowa State so I just I don't know wanted to point that out just so you know if anybody who's kind of trying to follow along with some of the local guys in their D1 story uh, Caleb Grill back to Iowa State um, and then my other story is I don't know if you guys remember earlier when I talked about my old uncle Ron, who's the bowling coach over at Bishop Carroll. Well, he was named the 5A Bowling Coach of the Year. So big shout out. There's the Western Whip Round. Big shout out to Uncle Ron and the uh, Bishop Carroll bowling team. I feel like Bishop Carroll. No no problem with Bishop Carroll, but geez. Wow. Uh, So I actually have, uh, I've got three. Um, and the, the reason for that is because there's a lot that's been going on over the last couple of days as it relates to Wichita sports. And even the suggestions that I gave you guys prior to the show, neither one of you mentioned either one of them. So that means I have to take it upon myself, put it on my shoulders and talk about the actual legitimate big things that are going on around the market. Right, as it relates to sports. You want to, you want to call and tell the schools that we mentioned that they're I'm, not legitimate. Yeah, I'll I'm, let you, I'm, I'll give them your number. I didn't say they weren't legitimate. I'm just saying mine are more legitimate. Uh, so <laughs> here's number one, which I know you've been tweeting about for quite a while, Blake. So I'm surprised that you didn't mention it. Steve Eck 
will be the new head coach at Cape and Mount Carmel High School for the boys basketball team. He's stepping down as head coach from Hutchinson Community College at the end of this season. He will be the head coach at Cape and Mount Carmel. Of course, Steve Eck, his name as it relates to area coaching is nearly unparalleled. Uh, He was head coach at Wichita South High for 10 years from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. His teams won 10 consecutive City League championships and six uh, Class 6A Acacia championships as well. Of course, Steve Eck has also coached at programs like Butler Community College, Cowley Community College, and of course now at Hutchinson Community College. He will be the new head basketball coach at Cape and Mount Carmel. Blake, I know it's not your story, it's my story, but I will ask ask you that's you know uh, your thoughts on the hire i'm sure i'm sure you think it's a great hire knowing your connections with that cape and program no oh, I'm, I'm i was shocked that that that, that happened obviously steve i kind of said that he was ready to step away from the national recruiting grind that you kind of have to go to go through if you're at a big time program like Hutchinson. Hutchinson's been in contention for NJCAA titles. He's won NJCAA titles. I mean, there's nobody more connected in South Central Kansas basketball than than Steve Eck, obviously. And he dominated, dominated the City League back in the 80s and 90s. They made nine nine out of the 10 years. They were in the 6A semifinals. Nine out of 10 years. So he replaces John Cherney III, who won the last Cape and State Championship back in 2012 after he took over for Bernie Pearson. So, you know, this is a situation where I think Cape and Mount Carmel is set up now. We're going to have something in the City League that we haven't had maybe ever, and that's the two Catholic schools maybe being really good. I mean, I don't, I certainly don't expect that Steve X is going to come into Cape and all of a sudden start losing, and you've got Bishop sure. Carroll coming off a state title. I really like Coach Dominic. Normally, the City League has really been, you know, Wichita East, Wichita Southeast, Wichita Heights. Those have been the three schools that have really dominated it. We might be looking at a new era where it's the Crusaders and the Golden Eagles kind of taking control of the G-Wall. Absolutely. So Steve Eck will be the new head coach at Cape and Mount Carmel. My second Wichita whip around story. It was announced today that Wichita has been selected as a regional site for TBT, the basketball tournament coming back in 2021. Uh, Of course, this is not the first time that Wichita has been a regional site. The first time that there was a round one game in Wichita, it shattered attendance records. The Aftershocks, which of course is Wichita State's alumni team, will serve as the feature team in the 16-team Wichita Regional. It's going to be taking place at Coke Arena July 16th through the 20th. And guys, just a few hours ago, the 2021 roster for the Aftershocks is starting to take shape. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Connor Frankamp, Rashard Kelly, Marcus McDuffie, and Samaje Haynes-Jones have all signed on to be part of the Aftershocks squad. You would have to think that, you know, number one, how rabid folks are about Shocker basketball in general, how rabid they were about the Aftershocks. Last time the TBT came around, you would have to think, assuming attendance will be normal by the time July rolls around, that this is going to be a wild atmosphere for the Aftershocks playing. So pretty excited about that. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that or not. I like that team. That that team sounds good. I I think they got a chance to win, win some games there at the basketball tournament. Yeah, that it's just a really cool. So that should be, uh, that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I was just going to add, no, go ahead. The, the, the tournament as a whole, I think, is just a, re- a really cool thing. And so I think it's fun that Wichita gets to host it and, and see some of these alumni. Wichita State always seems to have that good you know, connection of alumni that always want to get back in. So it'll be fun again to see it here in 2021. 
Yep, so that'll be July 16th through the 20th again at Coke Arena, Wichita Regional Site for TBT. Last but not least, very quickly, congratulations to Coach Brett Tanner, Rose Hill native. He was named head coach of Abilene Christian of the men's uh, basketball program there. He replaces Joe Golding, who led Abilene Christian to the NCAA tournament this season. Joe Golding is now going to be the head coach at UTEP. And so Brett Tanner, we talked about him a few weeks ago about how he helped lead Abilene Christian to that first round upset against the University of Texas in March Madness. He will be taking over as head coach of that program. So congratulations to him. That is our Wichita whip around here on the program. That's going to wrap things up before we get out of here very quickly. You guys, any corrections, additions or subtractions for either one of you? Absolutely have one addition. We mentioned about the transfer portal. Got to talk about Wichita State University basketball. Should have had that there as well. Quay Grant has transferred into Wichita State. Another Division II guy, much like uh, Cam going to University of Kansas, Cam Martin. I I may be totally butchering this first name, by the way, but Quay Grant helped West Texas A&M go 80 five and eight. They made three straight NCAA Division II Elite Eights, 22 points, eight rebounds a game, three assists and two steals for the Buffaloes. They have been one of the dominant programs in the Lone Star Conference, along with Dallas Baptist, uh, Texas A&M University, Kingsville, St. Edwards, Lubbock Christian, and West Texas. Lone Star Conference basketball is really good. I wouldn't say it's quite at the MIAA level, but it is really, really good. Uh, and there are a lot of those teams that Newman used to play when they were members of the Heartland Conference. He, geez, maybe the Heartland Conference wasn't as bad as everybody said it was, South Central Regional uh, ranking people. Uh, Buffalo's got crushed by Northwest Missouri State in the title match, but uh, Quay Grant, I think, is a guy who's going to step in, and I think he's got a chance to play for Wichita State. So uh, another Division II big-time name coming into an in-state Kansas Division One program. Weston, any additions, subtractions, or corrections for you? My addition is also to the transfer portal. Wanted to touch on Kansas State real quick. Uh, Ishmael Massad coming in a six six foot eight uh, stretch four from Wake Forest, who averaged eight points, three rebounds a game last year. Shot sixty not wait, sorry, let me see. Uh, 60, I think I had 69. Yeah, he shot 69 three-pointers last year, shooting about 36% from beyond the arc. So I, I think stretch fours are pretty important in today's game and, and it's kind of the same thing as uh, Blake was mentioning. You know, I think he has an opportunity to step in and play pretty much right away for Kansas State. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe it's in a limited role, but I think he gets minutes right off the bat. I think it's a big transfer for Kansas State. Sure. I have one addition as well before we wrap up the program. No need to really get into this. Um, We can, if we need to talk about it at a later time, but I don't know if you guys have been following the situation regarding the bill that was passed in Kansas that relates Mm -hmm. to transgender student athletes. Uh, There are some concerns according to Wichita mayor, Brandon Whipple, which it's the second time I've mentioned him on the show. I don't think we've ever talked about him before, Uh, but according to him, the city of Wichita could lose 7.5 million dollars if it loses its chance at hosting the NCAA Division I women's basketball tournament next year and the men's tournament again in 2025. There are concerns that because that bill has been passed by the Kansas legislature and that the NCAA uh, is grounded in values of inclusion and fair competition that the NCAA could ultimately choose to hold those tournaments elsewhere, at least 
not include Wichita in that rotation due to uh, the the ban in the state of Kansas. So something to keep our eyes on for the future. Again, no word yet from the NCAA and also the Wichita Area Sports Commission, who is a a huge uh, part of this entire deal with these tournaments coming to Wichita. They have not publicly given a position on this bill yet either, which probably would um, you know, potentially weigh one way or another with the NCAA. But it is something to keep our eyes on, something that is going on, that has made the news. And of course, if anything ends up happening with that, we'll make sure to report on that and let you know. That's going to wrap things up for the program here on Keeper of the Games. I want to remind all of you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a new episode, you'll get a notification. Of course, you can listen on all major streaming platforms. You can watch the uh, new episode on the Keeper of the Games YouTube channel. You can follow us on Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. Our website is cogsports.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod. For those of you who are listening and you don't get a chance to see our fancy Twitter handles right underneath us. Guys, Blake, I'll start with you. What is your Twitter handle? For our dear audio, our beloved audio listeners, at B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter. Weston, how about you? At WMills94. Of course, you can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. On next week's program, Blake Cripps takes the reins once again, and we will have uh, a significant amount of sports talk to talk about. I don't exactly know what's going to be on the agenda. I'm sure Royals baseball Me neither. will be on the agenda. I'm sure that Wichita State baseball and softball will be on the agenda, probably more transfer portal, maybe just a carbon uh, copy of the exact show that you have just wait, finished listening to. Guys, we'll see. Don't forget about okay. Weston's mock yeah. NFL draft coming in before... Next week's draft kicks off. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disconnect when that part happens. That will not be on the rundown. I can I can film a solo pod. I think we're coming up pretty in. close to that. That'd be fine. Yeah, and that that's that you'll have to clear that with our producer engineer, Tommy Castor. <laughs> I will take that under consideration. Maybe if you promise to not do any more Wichita whip around stories that are about yourself, then maybe (laughs) I would, or your family or somebody that, you know, or whatever, maybe then I would allow you to do a mock. How do we just gloss over uncle Ron winning the five, a coach of the year. He's at Bishop Carroll. What do you guys want me to do? Not talk about that. Come on. You don't have to call him uncle Ron. Well, he's my uncle Ron. How much you want from me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will have that and a whole lot more uh, on the next episode of Keeper of the Games. Once again, a special thanks to Jason Mouse, voice of the Wichita Thunder, for joining us here early on uh, on the program. Uh, once again, a home stretch for the Thunder this weekend. Uh, and, and Saturday night is I Love Wichita night at Interest Bank Arena. So make sure to visit the Wichita Thunder website or Interest Bank Arena for tickets and details uh, on all of that. And we'll hope to have Jason Mouse back uh, here soon on the podcast to talk more about the Wichita Thunder. So with that, for Weston Mills, for Blake Cripps, I'm Tommy Castor. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. 
and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.